Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos HSI familia and welcome back to Que Pasa HSIs. This episode launches at the end of Black History Month 2023, but it doesn't mean we should stop talking about being pro-Black HSIs and supporting Black students as part of our HSI efforts. I hope you will continue to have those conversations in your practice at HSIs and continue talking about the importance of complicating the H in HSIs, which means elevating conversations about Afro-Latinx people. Our quest to learn how to serve students that fall within the H and beyond the H continues with weekly guests offering diverse perspectives on how to do this. On today's episode, I talked to Victor Davila, who is the Executive Director of Retention and Student Success at Lamar University, an emerging HSI in Texas. He has worked in higher education for over 18 years at public institutions in Texas. He has previously served in the capacity as a primary investigator, project director, and project coordinator at three HSIs. Mr. Davila has authored and or secured over $9 million in grant-funded programs, HSI Title IV Part A and Title V Part B and Title III Part F. The emphasis of his work at these institutions has been college access, completion, and student success among, among underrepresented students at HSIs. Victor is a co-founder of the Alliance of Hispanic Serving Institution Educators, ASI, which has come up multiple times in this season, season two, and he has served as the founding vice president and as vice president of finance and governance for the organization. Mr. Davila has also served on numerous community organizations that focus on college access for Latino students in Texas. He is active in the HSI community and facilitates HSI Title V workshops on budget, compliance, and program management. Victor is a first-generation college graduate, having earned a bachelor's degree in history from Texas A&I University and a master's degree in psychology from Texas A&M University, Kingsville. He's originally from Robestown, Texas. I have known Victor through ASI and had the honor of serving as editor for his co-author chapter titled Considering Digital Technology and Innovative Learning Spaces as Structures for Serving at Hispanic Serving Institutions, which was published in my book, Hispanic Serving Institutions in Practice, Defining Servingness at HSIs. It was fun getting to know him through that process and talking to him more for this episode. He has a lot to offer our listeners, and I, I am confident that you will enjoy the show. Okay, we're going to go ahead and jump right into today's episode, um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and bring in Victor to, to the Que Pasa HSI's table. Victor, thank you for taking the time to be here today on Que Pasa HSI's, where we talk about all things HSI's. All right. But before well, we... Oh, go well, ahead. Thank, well, well, thank you for inviting me and thinking of me to, to be a, a part of this. This really means a lot. Oh, you're welcome. Of course. I, I'm, I'm happy to have you and I'm excited. And I think we have a lot to learn from you today. So, so thanks for agreeing to be a guest. So before we jump into HSIs and learning and, and with our, you know, with you and with our listeners, I want to learn a little bit about you and make sure our listeners know a little bit about you. So tell us about your higher education journey from access to completion. How, how'd you come into higher ed? Cause you're, you're still in higher ed. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Man, to be quite honest, honest um it, it was uh, an accident to be in higher ed to be quite honest 
Uh, I was in the nonprofit world working as a director of a substance abuse and STD clinic. So uh, here in, it was in Kingsville, Texas. And uh, then the Bush years took over as governor and he started slashing social programs. And then I was like, well, I need a job because it was grant funded. So uh, there was a job at uh, a and Kingsville, Texas A&M Kingsville, and I just applied. And then all of a sudden I'm working in higher ed and I'm just like, okay, it, it's a transition. And the funny thing was, you're going to probably ask me later is how did I get into, you know, HSI Title V grants? Well, the first day I walked into my office, the dean was gone. She left a manila envelope on my desk saying, since you know how to know everything about grants, so here, we just got funded. Can you read this and, you know, tell me about it? And what, how do you think we can implement it? And it was a Title V cooperative. Wow. Wow. Welcome <laughs> to Title V. I always tell that story when, you know, when I talk to uh, colleagues and new people, like, how did how'd you get into Title V? I was hired for one thing and I, it just kind of just first day, read this proposal. Tell me what you think about it. How is it going to get implemented? Wow. That was a short learning curve on that one. It literally landed on your desk. Literally. Before, before, yeah. before I even got to my desk, it was waiting for me. So I guess that that was, you know, you know, the world saying, you know what, this is going to be your life in higher ed. Yeah. The universe said, you're, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, so uh, from there, I, you know, I was there for, I think, maybe seven, eight years. And we, um, I collaborate, collaborated with uh, Dr. Geta, who she was a, a mentor to me in the grants world and, and the HSI world. She was, you know, uh, someone who uh, was a colleague of David Trujillo. And, you know, we'll talk about him later, I assume. And uh, they just got me working together and just kind of learning the, the world of uh, TRIO grants, uh, Title V grants, and just wondering, like, and I really wasn't aware of what an HSI was until, you know, I read the grant. I said, oh, we're an HSI. I go, I didn't know there was a de designation for that. So that was like 2004. So I'm, com I'm coming to a 20 year anniversary of being in higher ed. So that's kind of, you know, I was thinking about, I was like, oh my God, I've been in higher ed for a long time. It doesn't seem like it. It's just gone by so quickly. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I've, I've been having fun in higher ed mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I remember, I always take the, the viewpoint of the younger version of me coming into uh, a university setting and coming to get a four-year degree, how I was lost, um, how there were no resources. There were just uh, a lot of barriers, to be quite honest. And, you know, I come from a little small town called Robstown, and it's right outside of uh, Corpus Christi. And... Uh, People in the area just consider, you know, any kids from there, you know, lost. You, you know, you're, you're from, from Rapsa. You're not going to amount to anything. You're not going to even barely graduate high school. You're not going to even probably go to college. You're maybe best at a community college. But you know what? Uh, most recently, a, a friend of mine from, from high school, he was your uh, uh, secretary of education. I don't know if you know a Noe Ortega. Yes, I do. He's, uh, he lived across the, from town from me. So we're a little from a little pueblito. So, you know, it, it, so, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's been a journey because, you know, we, 
like eight of us went to Texas A&M back in the uh, in College Station uh, in 1988. And I remember, wow, we <laughs> we are in uh, a different world. And they told us, you know what? We're so happy that you guys are here because they had a separate orientation for minorities. <laughs> And they said, we have a whopping 7% Hispanic enrollment. And now they're an HSI. It took them, what, 30, 30 something years to become an HSI from that point. I was like, that's a long journey. But anyway, you know, uh, I, I knew being at that school was um, something that not, not a lot of kids like me go to. It's just, you know, only, I guess, students who are really taking school serious or, or, or whatever. But I, I just thought, you know what? Everyone was going to the University of Texas at the time. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go there. Everyone's there. I'm just going to get in trouble. I'll go somewhere. There's nothing around there. There's no city. They only have cattle and sheep and nothing. So I was like, I'm going to go there. And it's so friends. Yeah, let's go over there. See what's going on over there. Man, worst decision of my life. <laughs> I got in trouble there too. So it didn't matter. You know, but I met, you know, I'll be honest, I met um, uh, a lot of Latino and Hispanic students there were in the same boat. And I still remain friends to this day with many of those students uh, that I met my freshman year. And, you know, we still hang out. We So um, there's something to say about an HSI versus, you know, a tier one school. You know, an HSI, you know, it brings like-minded people and, and you kind of have uh, less harder time, I would say, about just feeling welcome. And I, I only, I was there for maybe a year, and then I came back to finish uh, at Texas A and I, which is was basically an HSI back then. And uh, but you know, it, it's a journey, and I always remember uh, how it was, how I felt, and when I, when I think about the programs that we do, the activities. And all the different uh, campuses I've been at, I always look at that, that viewpoint. We don't know all these students. We don't know they're from the big city, small town, the barrio, whatever. But, you know, we need to make them feel they have a safe space, somewhere where they, they can kind of talk to someone and, and feel, hey, you're, 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 you're like me. You're not some, you know, educated guy or, you know, who doesn't understand. So, you know, I get this, you know, when I was working in the corpus area, they said, hey, you know, where are you from, sir? I was like, well, I'm from around here. Like, from where? I said, Robstown. They said, no, nah, man, you're not from Robstown. I don't see any cats on you. And, you know, you're not this, you're not that, you know, stereotypical things. And, it's, and they said, let me see your ID. <laughs> they, would, they would ID me like, hey, we want to make sure you're not lying. You're just trying to fit in. You know, if you're just, you know, BSing us that, you know, you, you understand, you know, where we're from. I said, yeah, I understand where you're from. I'm probably from a place worse than where you're from. So, mm. you know, it takes it, it takes anyone and any type of person to come to school and it's, it's just about desire and what kind of passion you have. So, um, you know, I always kind of think of that. I always think about my journey working at a higher ed institution is uh, it's a big responsibility. You know, I take it because I want to help as many students as I can. And if I don't do that I don't feel like I'm doing my job because there's always a student out there who's just like me or like a friend of mine or my cousin that you know we all feel lost and we all want to feel included not everyone feels included in higher ed because for me for whatever the reason is 
And sometimes it's about, you know, I don't think it mirrors who I am. And that they find a place to, to come and do their homework and just hang out. You know what? If that's what it takes, well, then that, that's what it takes. Yeah. Who answered your question? Oh, yeah. No, I was going to take you back to like, no, I wanted to know how you got into college and then you you went there, right? Like, I want to I want to know that that um, that story, too. And it sounds like um, you said, what, 1983, you started college? 80, 88, 88. 88. OK, sorry. Ooh, I was trying to take you back even further. OK, 88. <laughs> Now, my, my point where I'm going with this is pre even HSI designation, right? Like there's not even an HSI designation there. So you can't even say like, I went to an HSI, yet you're describing like these experiences you had even interacting with people who were Hispanic, Latino identified, right? And or from same places or similar um, places as you, um, yet the institution wasn't um, an HSI. But if we think about the evolution of HSIs, they kind of, you know, they're sort of grassrootsy, right? Like that they, uh, not even sort of, they are, they're grassrootsy. The, the movement is a grassroots movement. Mm-hmm. And the the people I met there, and, and I think, you know, one of them, he was uh, the one I co-authored the chapter with you, Rick, Dr. Rick Montelongo. He, he was a year or two older than me or up in class. There was this um, organization, it's still there, it's called the Committee for the Awareness of Mexican-American Culture out of their, their student uh, center. And they had like a welcome for freshmen, you know, Latino students, but it was open to everybody. And that's how I met a lot of uh, my friends there that I still have as friends. So I, I find that, you know, a student org that kind of cares that's that's real is uh, makes a difference. And, and I, I feel that that's one of my uh, experiences. And, and I really feel um, loyal to that. So when my little cousin's daughter was going to a and I said, hey, get involved with this. And uh then she became like, I think the president when, when she was <laughs> during her tenure over there. And I was like, and it, it was beneficial for her also. But, uh, you know, I, I, I encourage, you know, student organizations, uh, especially that, you know, whatever uh, your interests are that makes you feel at, at home, welcome. And, and that's where sometimes I, we lose students, uh, as you know, because they just don't feel included. They don't feel embraced by uh, the system. And sometimes you just have to make sure they understand their kids just like them and no matter what who you think you are there's going to be someone just like you on campus it's just a matter of connecting with them absolutely and student organizations if we want to talk about grassroots uh you know ways to support student uh students student organizations is like point number one right like that we many of us uh found place of belonging, sense of belonging, sense of home in student organizations. Um, And I think about that a lot as far as like HSIs and like, how are they supporting student organizations? Because that that's a place that people, you know, serving this happens and that's grassroots, right? For students to, to create those spaces um, to serve themselves, which is, we know what, what, you know, happened before, before we started getting title five and title three and NSF, you know, grants to actually uh, create those programs, right? Like students were doing it themselves. We were doing it ourselves. Yeah. And, so. and, and you know what? <clears throat> I'll share, you know, I'm here at, at a new campus, uh, Lamar uh, University in Beaumont. And this is, you know, right next to Louisiana. And a lot of people say, where are you at? Beaumont? Where, where's that? <laughs> but uh, it's an emerging. We're at 21, 22% uh, Hispanic. And as I got here, uh, Dr. Hector Flores 
said, hey, man, you know, I, I started this grassroots organization for, it's called the Latino Society. Uh, and uh, it's just a bunch of Hispanic students, you know, just hanging out, getting to know each other, be a support system because, you know, there, there's really nothing here on campus that uh, is geared to them. So we just decided, you know what, we're going to try to support them as, as much as possible. And uh, since I've only been here since uh, January and, and this past May, they had an awards banquet for them. And I said, yeah, I'll go, I'll participate. And I, and I joined to be part of their, their mentoring program also. And uh, someone asked me, so, you know, in your previous institutions, did you have these uh, uh, awards uh, banquets? I said, yes, they were just called honor banquets, not like a Hispanic one. <laughs> it was not separate, it was just a banquet. And it was like, Oh, I say because like 60, 70% of the population is Hispanic in those in an HSI, you know, in a more natural HSI. So, you know, you don't separate it, but at an institution where we barely have any, you know, it, it's good. It's a good motivation. And, you know, he also organized a banquet the next night for uh, the uh, Asian uh, student population. And that can, you know, you'd think, well, Asian is like, yeah, we have uh, students from India, um, China, uh, Southeast Asia, Middle East. So, you know, they were, that was the first time anyone had done anything for them. And, and you know, and I was just like, wow, okay, this, this is real. This needs to continue. And the whole thing was not paid for by, by, by us. It was donations from um, the community, the restaurants, the businessmen, businesswomen, so, and they did the flowers, they did edible arrangements. And I mean, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to see that. And, but that's the difference. I'm kind of learning right now, being in an emerging, you have to be more intentional. You have to be uh, there thinking about what are the student needs? How are you building capacity for these students? And, and, I, and that's something that I'm kind of working with them. I'm bringing my past experiences and they're bringing me, okay, you know, what are, what are the needs or how do we, you know, try to uh, reach out to these students to make sure we don't lose them. So it, it's been fun. I've only been here six months, but I enjoy the, the, the impact that I see that, you know, little things make a big, big impact on campus. Absolutely. As somebody who's at an institution that only has 3% Latinx students, um, I could tell you exactly the same, right? Like, and, and who comes from HSIs, right? Like who comes from California HSIs. And, and like you said, it's almost like the water we swim in when it's super diverse and, and all these things, you know, graduations, cultural graduations and cultural months and all those sort of things. It's not natural. On the, on the quad. I mean, that that's like, that's like a Monday, you know, whereas yeah. here, here, it's like, you know, we have to, we have to think about those things, you know? Um, so yeah, it is, it's a, it's, it's a process. It's a process to, to do these sort of things. So um, you've got to start to get into this a little bit, but I want to go ahead and, 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 and pose the question. So you basically said that you didn't know anything about HSIs yet. There was a, it was literally plopped on your desk that said, you, you go implement this HSI grant. So tell us about your servingness journey, what I call servingness journey, right? How did you come to understand HSI and servingness and, uh, you know, that being 20 years ago to where you are today? What, what was that? How, what was that? What does that journey look like? How have you gotten to where you are now in your knowledge around HSIs and servingness? Well, you know, 
it was just like, you know, getting that HSI grant, it was just all by, by happenstance. And, you know, uh, thinking about what am I going to do? How, what, what is the student population? How am I going to um, implement this? Or how, you know, how, how is it going to be targeted? And how do I help? And, and the way I kind of see serving is, like I was mentioning earlier, is like, what about me? What about uh, how I felt? How do, how do I make the institution understand? It's not just having the students in, enrolled, it's how do you make them feel comfortable? How do you build a framework to make them feel that, you know, this is somewhere where they belong? And it, it was a process for me, I'll be quite honest. In the beginning, first I was trying to figure out what this grant is all about. <laughs> and then I just started seeing how the students were reacting to some of the activities and the activities were, you know, kind of rudimentary back then was just a tutoring program, a mentoring program, supplemental instruction. And that was basically it. And then we needed a space. Yeah, we could do these activities, but where are the spaces? How, how do we get them involved? How do we feel that, you know, there's, there's already existing, you know, student services or student success spaces. And by kind of creating something that they feel that is welcoming. And a lot of the, the students, you know, we targeted every uh, beginning of each semester were our minority students, not just Hispanic students. Uh, and, and they, we try to say, hey, come on, this is something we have here, we, free printing. <laughs> you could take a nap. We have a couch, we have couches here. We have all these free things that you can't go to that other space and they're, they're gonna make you swipe in and do this, do that. So it's just trying to build, I guess, in a sense, family. Sounds kind of cliche and all that, but it's true because many of the students that I first <laughs> started my career and I still keep in contact because we just built this, this uh, friendship and families because they were from little pueblitos from around Texas coming to the big city of Corpus. So I understand that concept, being from a small town, going to, to a bigger city and in a bigger campus. And they were at first intimidated. And then, you know what? I understand they needed a job. So we helped find jobs. We helped create jobs for them with our grant and just with some institutional money. So they, they were not working at a fast food joint till one o'clock in the morning or at a bar. And that was important to build that, you know, interest in school, just being there, just being part of, of the culture of being a college student, not having to work about paying bills, you know, outside of, you know, financial aid, which is always rough. And uh, I think that's part of how I've kind of then realized, you know, being HSI and serving, you know, that's something that we really need to be intentional, not just implement a grant and here's, here's some money, but you, you have to put some feeling into it. How do you build that capacity to actually just have them, uh, the, the students feel wanted. And, you know, working with a faculty like yourself, hey, you know what, there's opportunities for you to, to interact, have some research projects with our students because, you know what, you need, you need to understand where they're coming from and they need to understand where you're coming from. You may have a similar journey. You may be different cultures, but the journey is the same. So that's, that's how I kind of started. And, and you know, I... I worked at another uh, four year down the road and that was kind of different. That was more with the Poha students. Those were 
graduate students. It was like the first uh, uh, round of POHA grants. And that was quite different and similar because of uh, there was no infrastructure that there was no student success in a sense for, for graduate students. Because you, you're, you're a graduate student, so you can figure out, you know how to study. Well, sometimes you haven't been in school for five, 10 years. And you're coming back for a master's or you want to go back for a doc. And, you know, you, you sometimes forgot, oh, APA, am I, I don't know that. <laughs> so, you know, building the resources for that. Um, what kind of uh, tutoring areas or, or just resource areas. And then I transitioned to my previous job was at a two-year. Now that's a completely an different animal working there because the students are, are a bit more, um, lost in a sense of do I really belong here because I just came out of high school and I have to go work. I have to have a full-time job. I got to support my family or my brothers and sisters versus a, a person who's at a university. More or less, you know, their their thing is I'm in college, I'm in at a university and I'm just living in the dorms. I'm living, I'm doing this and and that. But students at a two-year, they they have a little bit more um, financial and family pressure that they have to deal with. So it, it's tough to, to have them on campus more than, than they need to be because they just need to, you know what, I need help with, with this or that, or I can participate in that, but you know what, I got to go to work. I got I need a place to study. I need to do this quickly. Give me a, a, a nice comfortable place so I can come and do my homework, save it and, or, or meet my tutor or my faculty and, and get it done. And then I got to go I got to go take take care of my, my my son, my daughter, or my little brother, my little something, whatever cousin. It's all family. They, they are in a rush, as you know. It's a they're parking lot students, as as the saying goes. So it's a little bit tougher to, you know, uh, provide services for them to to stay because they want to stay, but they can't because of family pressures, family issues, and they need to support themselves and their their family. So I think those are like kind of two two different, uh, I guess, trajectories that I've noticed that uh, it's 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 tougher working in a two year as, as maybe maybe I'm wrong, but you know it, it's it, it's tougher because those students need uh, understanding and you know trying to figure out if they're actually doing the right thing of, of you know having to leave early having you know. You have to be creative in trying to get them involved. It's tough. It's really tough. Absolutely. So it sounds like your um, journey to understanding HSI and serviness has it was somewhat intuitive, right? Like you kind of you had to go with your gut, your cultural intuition, your ways of knowing to know how to serve students um, without even you know. And I'll, and I'll be honest, I've critiqued that sort of process, right? Because I, I even wrote a, you know, my love letter to, to HSI grant implementers um, for the ASI journal and was like, y'all, y'all need to access, you know, HSI research. That was me as a researcher saying, are y'all reading this research that we're doing? Um, yet the intuitive uh, serving this journey is, is valid, right? Like everything you just said is like your journey has been to, to really just dig down and say, what do these students need? 
what do our students need, right? That's serving this, right? You don't need a book to tell you that. Um, you need your heart and your, you know, your, your mind to say, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to roll my sleeves up and, and serve students, right? Which is, is what it sounds like you have been able to do, which I think is, is commendable and, and absolutely valid. And, you know, the other piece that I've learned later on in part of my, my, my journey, as you say, uh, is we, and you brought up Melissa, and she has a, a great uh, program for helping faculty and, and staff. And we, we always kind of concentrate on our students, but let's not forget about the faculty and the staff that, mm-hmm. that need to, to help to fit, understand, you know what, these students are, you know, X, Y, and Z. But the, the students need to understand yourself also. You have to open up a little bit and not just be, you know, that teacher from high school just saying, <clears throat> I'm here to, to get this assignment and let's go. Sometimes they need that little extra, you know, I, I can talk to this person. I can, this person is a little bit more approachable. And, and I think a lot of the times, you know, this is the most frequent question. And I know you probably get it is, uh, you know, I'm afraid to go talk to so-and-so because, you know, I don't you know, that, that person's a faculty, you know, my professor say like, mm-hmm. human, they have the same blood, just like you. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I go, I mean, you'd be surprised, just go talk to them and see what, you know, what happens, invite them over to, and when I was at uh, Del Mar college, the two year, you know, I go invite them over to the, the STEM center. And I bet you they'll come because tell them that we have free coffee too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for real. <laughs> So that, uh, that matters. <laughs> so, you know, the cool thing about it, you know, they, some of the, the faculty started saying, so what's going on there? We're hearing this buzz of all these students getting together after class to do their homework and all that. So, yeah, you know, we have some, some, some new areas and we're doing this and we're offering free coffee. We put a spot, you know, where, you know, they're not going to mess up any like desktops or, or spill anything on, on equipment so they can, you know, sit down. Uh, have some coffee, some water, and some snacks if, if possible. If we haven't, and then all of a sudden, you know, some of the the faculty would come and drop off some water, or you know, those uh, K cups. And I was like, okay, I, I think we're making a difference. I think we're making the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I actually was recently on a panel with a with an alum of an HSI, and um, she talked about her how her day was often um, focused on how much food she had right? How long she could be on campus was determined by how much food she had, right? And that's real with students at HSIs, right? I was like, dang, that, yeah. that's powerful, you know? Like, she said, I planned my meals. I, I can't afford to buy food on campus. Food on campus is expensive, even at HSIs, right? Like, yeah. we, ain't, we ain't accounting for the fact that our students are low income and charging them less for food, although we should. Um, but when spaces provide that, that servingness, right? When, when we're creating spaces that even coffee and some snacks will make a difference and allow a student to be engaged longer which the research tells us that the engagement matters, right? For students um, to be successful. So, so those are all the things we have to think about, right? At, at, at HSIs and the kind of ser- students we're serving and, and what their needs are. Um, it, it seems basic, but how much food you have in your backpack matters <laughs> of how long you can stay, right? And how we, we can better support, you know, students as, as institutions. And speaking of that, you know, in my previous institution, right before the pandemic, you know, shut everything down they were uh, just getting a food pantry off the ground and as soon as they got food i mean it was it was gone and the local you know 
grocery stores were, you know, seeing that happening. And at the other university across the town, it's like, you know what? They started helping uh, both institutions by stocking their, their, their food pantries. So I was like, okay, cool. That I, someone's listening. Yeah, for sure. And I think there, we need to do more work around that, right? Around around uh, food insecurities um, and our, what our students are dealing with um, at HSIs. So yeah. speaking of implementing um, programs and services to support students, you have served as a primary investigator, a project director, and a project coordinator at three different HSIs. Um, and in the servingness model, one of the things we talk about is the need for HSI grants um, to, to start right get things going um but one of the things is also like you can get things going but will it become institutionalized so talk to us a little bit about that in your three previous role in these different roles your three different institutions about the kind of programs and services you were able to launch because of hsi grants that that funding actually mattered right we want to know that but then did it become institutionalized and and how how did you do that because i'm sure people listening they want to know how do you institutionalize these grants because they're only five years Data, data, data. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, no, I'll go by each institution if I can remember all the things that are still existing. Uh, I would, would, first off is uh, Texas A&M Corpus. Uh, Our offices were in a triple wide trailer, you know, uh, and we're next to the coast. Literally the water was across the street. So every time there was a storm, we had to evacuate. And uh, for the CCRAA grant back in, what, 2008, something like that, uh, we uh, got funded to uh, uh, renovate an old gym that they had that they just vacated because they just built a, you know, brand new uh, gym. So I was like, can we have it? And but you need to, you know, pitch in a little money for it because then you get rid of the eyesore of the, the triple Y set. And at that time, the, you know, the, I guess the stars were aligned. Uh, there was money from the state. So our money combined with that, we gutted it and made a very um, student-friendly space. And within that space, we created uh, our, our tutoring programs and mentoring programs that, I, that still exist as far as the last time I checked. That uh, I, because we gave them a name, and the name still exists. And then I looked on the website. I said, hey, that's still there. And that's not out of grant money. That's, that's hard money. So uh, if, you, if you can show that there is action going on with student activity and, and providing data and how, how retention numbers are, you know, how are they persisting, uh, that will work. That, that keeps them interested, especially um, it's all about data and the money. If you can prove that these students are getting help, they're, they're going to exist. They're, they're going to keep on. And then I think uh, at AM Kingsville, uh, the thing that was when I was there was just a short time, their problem was updating their, their labs and um, their equipment. And they just didn't have the know how. And uh, we just really worked hard and spending lots of money getting things update, updated. And so, you know, I was asking a colleague that's still there, it's like, how, how are they, how are those places doing? Oh, no, no, they're keeping up to them, uh, with them. And they're using, uh, they're using sometimes NSF or other type of funding to try to maintain and updating uh, the equipment. 
So sometimes it's about building the foundation. If how are they going to figure it out? Are they needs hard money or find other different revenue streams to keep them uh, intact? Because I mean, they they look nice. I mean, the place looked like it was about to fall in, like ready for you know a paranormal activity uh, movie. <laughs> and you you know some paint, some carpet, uh, some new equipment in there. You know, all of a sudden it, it brings new life. And at Del Mar, ooh. I mean, we did a lot there. Um, I would say there was uh, three spaces that are still in use that, you know, are all directed at students that the, uh, the campus, you know, after the grant was over, they institutionalized. They hired people to run them. They hired uh, uh, the student workers. They, they hired the staff and to be attached to, you know, whatever a STEM. One was a STEM, one was an English area writing center that, that still exists because uh, they, they still kind of reach out to me, hey, what do we need for this? But um, that's good to see that there, because of the data that we showed them, that all these students were coming in and it built a good uh, rapport with upper administration. And you're talking about the faculty coming in and saying, hey, you know what? We really need this space. We can't just like the grants over. What are you going to do? Just shut the doors. They, so they found money. You know, and I would say also on the programming side, uh, STEM advising has been um, one of uh, the things that I would say Del Mar and some other uh, coaching programs that they picked up. And my the other previous institutions, I would also say some SI and um, some advising also. They just absorb because. It was a need. And if you show them that the students are coming in and the numbers don't lie and, and you can show some results, you know, it, they're just going to have to because it, they will be losing money. Uh, I would say at Del Mar, they did not have a graduation plan on how to assist students in com being completers. So one of the, the grants that we had with Texas State, um, it was a, we basically called it a, graduation coaching program. And uh, we were hoping for a 5% bump in, in uh, graduation rates or, you know, students coming for help. And it took us two, two and a half, three years to get that 5%. Then for some reason, at, at the end of that third year, we just, I guess we built a, a word of mouth reputation because the kids that were already graduating were bringing their friends in. Say, can can this person, you know, can you see them without an appointment? Yeah, if we're not busy, come on in. And then they, you know, then that person brought two friends, then three friends. So, and they said, hey, they help you. They they you know do a, an audit on your on your degree plan. They they do this. They help you figure out what classes you need, and if you need financial aid, they'll help you with that. And all of a sudden, we figured out for every graduating class, we had sixty or seventy percent go through our coaches to apply to graduate. So that that's pretty darn impressive. That was not even, we, we weren't even thinking of that. We're just thinking just, you know, maybe 20% if we get really, really lucky. But, you know, over 50%, and that, that was just crazy. And the administration was like, how are you doing this? I don't know. Probably good customer service. Answering their emails and phone calls. So. Oh, wow. 
But it's true. Customer service. I've heard from, um, I did a, a participatory action research project with some students at a Hispanic Serene Community College and they'll tell you the spaces they don't want to go on campus. And it has to do a lot with customer service. They're like, well, they're rude over there. I don't want to go there. They ain't serving us over there. You know, mm -hmm. it's not even about the same culture, race, language, none of that. They're like, just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the wildest things are like, no, this is, this is serving us. Right. So, so I think yeah, you're probably it's, right. <laughs> it, it's the most simplest thing is, you know, just mm -hmm. be nice, just making mm -hmm. sure that they feel that they're, that they're human. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, uh, I'll, I'll follow that up during the pandemic. Uh, we had to get creative because, you know, no one ever checks their emails anymore. You know that. <laughs> so we got a, a texting program and we said, let's try this out. Let's see if they'll respond. And they were, man, they were like, why did you get this? We're actually working even more remotely than we were in person because they just want to communicate on the phone. And they're saying, are, are you for real? Are you really from Del Mar? Yes. And so can we, then we, let's make a Zoom appointment and, and get things done. My friend wants a Zoom appointment too. But, you know, it's just like you said, it's customer service. Someone responds because they're saying, so-and-so didn't respond. They never, you know, respond. I left an email. I left a, a voicemail and da, 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 da. And, you know, not everyone on campus had our, the capability we had with, with texting. So, you know, we became the, the default uh, help center, <laughs> but it's all right. As long yeah. as it's good for being helped. Yeah. That's yeah. And, that, that's serving this. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. And, and you, you know, it's just, you know, it's like, you know, you go out to eat, you know, you like someone who's going to be responsive to you, <laughs> you can have some more water, you know, and, but it's the same thing. You, mm -hmm. you want to just feel like someone's paying attention to you. Yeah. No one's written that article yet, but it sounds like there's an article in the making of like just serving students uh, through a customer service um, approach. But you're absolutely right. Like they want to be served in that sort of way and, and responding to them helps and matters. So so thank you for that. And thank you for breaking out. Um, you you spent some time talking about infrastructure, right? The ways in which you, you've used it, the Title V, Title III, HSI grants, right? There's a bunch of different ones, right? The HSI yeah. grants to build infrastructure, but also services. Right. And that's the, the cool thing about these grants is they're very, a very unique type of grant. Right. Is you can build infrastructure and you can build service and programs and services, um, yeah, you know, based definitely. on what your current needs. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, most definitely. And I think you're, you know, you're asking me about like, you know, you know how, how do you get started with, with getting a grant? And, you know, sometimes the first grant is about building the infrastructure. It's about, well, I like to this. I do the generic tutoring or mentoring or SI. Yeah, that's great, but do you have the space for it? Because campus is always, oh, no, we don't have any space for you. We don't have the money for you. Okay, I have the money. We're going to tear this down. We're going to do this. We're going to create this. And then the next grant, we're going to fill it. We're going to put the programming in there. We're going to do, you know, whatever. We're going to do faculty development, faculty center, or, you know, students. So everyone, try, you know, you try to in, in, include everyone on campus, but you know, sometimes people forget, oh, it's just about the, the activities for the students, but you just can't have activities and assume that they're going to create the space for you and kick someone else out. Sometimes you have to say, okay, I'm going to start small. I'm going to, you know, renovate that science lab. I'm going to renovate, you know, that liberal arts area. And what are you going to do with it? Well, there's going to probably be a, a USDA grant or another grant at, you know, uh, in NSF or, you know, another Title V that 
you can start filling in with programming because a lot of times I, you know, I hear from colleagues like, oh, I, I'm trying to do this, but I can't do it. I can't get it off the ground. I can't hire so many people because there's no space. I go, well, you should always kind of consider thinking about some renovation money just to, you know, you never know what you may come up with. Or maybe there's a couple of rooms that just need a little TLC that you can handle. And if you handle that, well, they're going to probably give it to you so you could run your programming out of there. And, you know, it's just kind of, you kind of future plan. And, you know, that, that, that I kind of, kind of think of it, I, that's the lessons I've learned, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. It was like trial learn. and error. <laughs> trial it, wasn't and error. That, it was not like something that I knew. It's like, oh, no. Okay. You, you need to have space. And space is, you know, very, very much needed, no matter what campus you're at. Yeah. You're always fighting. You're always fighting for that space. Yeah, for sure. So going along with that, um, what would you recommend to folks who are trying to get grants, right? Because not everybody's successful. They try several times. One of our guests, um, Dr. Stephanie Aguilar-Smith, she she does research with highly successful grant getters and those who haven't had any luck yet, right? Like that's the reality is um, there is somewhat of a formula, right, to getting them. So what are your thoughts on that? What, how, what would you recommend to folks who are trying to get these um, HSI grant dollars? Um, what's, what's the formula? How do, how do they get the dollars? To be quite honest, it, it's sometimes just reading the instructions. Oh! <laughs> and, and we're, we, we laugh about it, but, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes there's people who uh, apply, they're not even an HSI. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> There's one. The other one is, I would have to say, is there's a page limit. The, I mean, the most simplest things, you know, to get you just for it not to be kicked out. You know, the right. hard part is for it to be accepted. Right. Make sure your data is correct. Everything that you need, that they need, you have done correctly. Make sure your pagination's right. Make sure you follow instructions, competitive priority points. And they said, you know what, this is what we're looking for. To be quite honest, this is, uh, we're trying to fund, they say, you know, education. And, and you're writing about something totally off topic. And uh, that's a great grant, but that's, our, that's not your points. You're not going to get your points. Yeah, it sounds basic, but super important. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What what's what are priority points? What are the and I know each year they have different. Yeah, no, no, they they usually have one or two uh, competitive priority points, and sometimes they outline exactly what they want to hear from you. And if as simple as it sounds, follow the instructions, and you'll get your points for the most part. And if you don't, well, then you're already minus ten or minus five. That means if you score 100, you're still down five or 10 points because someone else read the instructions and just filled it out and, and did it correctly. And uh, yes, there is a formula. It's, it's how you write it. And uh, depending, you know, you kind of have to think sometimes, you, you, you know, I'm not like 100% <laughs> of always uh, getting mine done, uh, accepted, but I get some weird feedback on, on the, the comments talking about, I didn't um, put a budget in. I was like, there's like five pages of budget. Um, there's, you know, a section missing. I was like, it's right there on page 74, one, you know, whatever. 
And I and I would have to say, you know, for that formula, I would have to I, I recommend making it easy to read, making it where there's some place that you really need to make it outstanding, like bold and just, okay, it's right here. This section is being addressed. Try to make it where uh, what you have to say is there, that they see it that, because they're going through, I don't know how many applications and they're scrolling through, okay, where's this section? Let me check it out. Let me see for the points. And if it's kind of starts looking like just a blur, then they're just going to pass on it. You know, that's what I've, I've heard from other people who, who've read or, or something, you know, you got to make it stand out. Outside of the information that you have, visually, it needs to catch their eye. And it's like, well, what was that? I was like, oh, let me go back to that text box or, or you know, uh, this page of, of information. Yeah. So, you know, there's probably like a thousand different recommendations of what's the secret sauce. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's following the instructions. And there's, there's many uh, times I've heard from people who told me, oh man, I forgot to do this or, or submit this, or, or this was, I, I didn't edit this. My, my editor missed this on, on mm-hmm. my submission. So before you turn it in, I know you've trusted someone to look over it, look at it one more time, because I know it all looks the same and you, it's in your mind. It, you're reading it, but it's a page missing or, mm-hmm. or a section missing. Yeah. So little things like that and submitting it correctly, making sure you're doing it on time. Try not to do it on the last day. Try to do it maybe a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> As a grant submitter, never. <laughs> we go right up to the deadline. <laughs> 458. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right at the final hour for sure. Um <laughs> But no, I mean, it's, it's, it's valid, right. To just say like, yeah, like following the instructions, right. Th- those, those priority points. Um, I don't know if there's a rubric, is there a rubric that the department of ed shares that like people could see? Yeah. They, uh, all the questions that they have for you to answer uh, on the, uh, the RFP and they, there's a, they send you the, the, the reader's comments and mm. how you, how you score on each. So there's a section on each, make sure you answer each section. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, like um, I would say the comprehensive development plan, they have all these little sections. How do you answer them is how they're going to give you your points. You know, yeah. what's your uh, campus's weaknesses? What's your, your campus's fiscal stability? And if you kind of something real, like one, two sentences, no, they want something with a little bit of meat. Yeah. So yeah. It, it gives you exactly what they want to, want you to answer. You just have to put something together that makes sense. Yeah. But, okay. You know, but at the end of the day, there's like too many submissions. There's too many HSIs fighting for a little pot of money. So not everyone, I mean, you probably have the, one of the best grants, but you know what, they're going to have to cut. Mm. And that, and, and that's outside of, outside of, you know, the, I would say, the customer service realm of mm-hmm. being nice, but you know, there's only so there's only a limited amount of money and they have to make tough choices. And, you know, I think I've been a victim of that once or twice, but, <laughs> but yeah. I would also recommend when you do get your readers comments back, um, use that as your guide and, uh, and check to see if those are some valid points or it was just, you were just a victim. 
Yeah. And it, it's the reality. It is a competitive process, unfortunately, right? And I say unfortunately because some campuses could really use this funding to actually do good work, um, but are, are, are un, unsuccessful, right? Multiple yeah. times unsuccessful. Um, and so, you know, practicing and, and getting good and, and seeking out, um, you know, folks like you who, who run workshops on this kind of stuff, um, which I wanted to ask you about. You said you've run uh, HSI Title V workshops on budget compliance, program management. Um, what do HSI project directors need to know about these elements of the grant submission and the grant management once they get it? Well, the submission, if they're in one of these workshops, that means either they were lucky or someone else <laughs> got lucky for them <laughs> to, so they could... Uh, be at that workshop because uh, a, a project management is something that I'll share, you know, my experience as like, I sh- as we started off the show with, you know, I walked into my office with a big envelope waiting for me. And I was like, I had no idea of managing any of this or what it was, had no clue. And at that time, you know, the H- HSI funding world was pretty in its infancy but early 2000s. And that's how I met uh, David Trujillo and some other colleagues at, at a workshop. And there's like, hey, you know what? We, they, they don't know. <laughs> They're not giving us great advice here. And we, we got to get together and help each other out. And that's how Aussie kind of came, came together. Uh, and it, it's difficult. It's if the problem. That's why we do project management because there's uh, I, I've been through there and some other colleagues have been like lost and we've tried to figure out how do we do this? So building, you know, to be honest, you have to build a network of colleagues and friends and uh, higher ed because you don't know how many times you're going to text or call or email someone. Hey, man, have you heard of this problem? I've had I'm having this problem. Do you have a solution? I, I know someone who's been through it. Let me contact that person. So, uh, you know, we always kind of talk about you know, in our project management uh, web- webinars or in person before the pandemic, we talked, we, we broke it down through budget uh, compliance um, activities. So it's always about building a network of colleagues, to be quite honest, and learning when to reach out to your colleagues, to your external evaluators that are uh, built into your grant, and then finally reaching out to um, your program officers for, you know, the last word of, of needing some help or, you know, advice on something. And we really didn't have that way back when. And I think now the Department of Ed has, has been much more responsive and much more friendlier than, you know, when I started. And uh, I, I give them a lot of, a lot of credit uh, for that. They, they've listened to us. We've complained. We've, we've asked for help and, and they're responding, which is good. But, um, but you know, an organization like, like this one that I was talking about, this is where um, we kind of started as frustration of we, we were kind of just lost at sometimes, like we weren't getting direction. So we just kind of banded together and said, you know what, we need to build our own resource, which is us. And, <laughs> you know, one of the tough things are, are, you know, budget questions. How do you, you know, is it okay to spend that much money or, is it okay to move money? And you know, just how do you how do you work with your campus? Because the and I know you've probably heard this before. Um, when you get this pot of money, 
it's it's quite large it's bigger than trio everyone thinks you have you know a payday loan business that you just need money i can go to them uh, i need to buy this and it's like whoa 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 you because you need it doesn't mean you're going to get any assistance because you have to be part of the grants it has to be part of the objectives and you know and i tell i tell some of uh, these workshops i said if everybody likes you on campus that means you're not doing that great of a job because you have to say no to people and when you say no to people they're not going to like you even though you explain it to them you tell them i can't help you because you know this is a stem grant we're not doing a liberal arts grants <laughs> and, and we we can't we, we can't justify you know whatever you know if i try to get this approved by this they're like what's going on over there but um you know that that's making the tough decision and you know sometimes those are very unpopular decisions at the end of the day and you know i try to tell people don't get offended i mean you're, you're just trying to make sure you're being a good steward of the money a good steward to the campus and to the students and the activities that the grant was written for and uh if some people don't like it well you know what oh well if they if they can't fire you well <laughs> too bad you can't fire me anyway i don't I, so you know you you don't want to get in trouble because the ones who can fire you will we'll get we'll get we'll get to you if you know what i mean so um that's always tough you know that and you know and that's why i i think building this uh friendship of network network of colleagues that just are going through the same thing you're going through or have been through or in the future you will go through eventually one thing or another and that's tough when, when you start off and not knowing anyone you're like what am i doing and many of these uh uh webinars now that we're doing and uh in-person institutes um this is this a similar response man where were y'all when i got started i didn't know any of this i need you know i feel better i i don't feel like i'm doing something wrong or i'm gonna get in trouble so you know making sure your colleagues feel that they're not stressed out 24 7 for doing the wrong thing or the right thing i i think that plays a big role you know i guess in mental health <laughs> for everyone's mental health you know we all need that assurance that you're doing okay and you know it's okay it's okay someone gets mad at you but but you know you got to think about your, your yourself being because i mean it stresses people out when when uh they're trying to do something and they're being criticized even though they're right and that happens like uh we have one uh, uh i'll just say her name adrian uh she was one of i remember 2018 and in, in vegas we're doing a project management institute and uh she nicknamed herself la preguntona because she was asking questions she was brand new why 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 how do you do this? like all right you know so and, and she and she just like made sure to keep in contact with with myself and some other colleagues and now for being preguntona she's in charge of it now <laughs> so uh <laughs> yeah if she's listening you're listening this is what you get <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's good to see uh her and other uh colleagues that were very you know un unsure of what they were doing or or now become leaders and that i think is a, is a awesome compliment to uh some of the things that we do because if if they're learning that means they know how it feels and they're not going to want anyone to feel that way they felt 
And, and that really, you know, sucks, to be honest. And I'm saying it mildly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm sure everybody appreciated her asking so many questions, right? Because they probably all had the same questions because yeah. everybody's trying to figure this out. I, I don't know if you know, but I was a Title V implementer back in the day. And I, same thing. I'm like, none of us know what we're doing. You get this grant, like it gets plopped on your desk. I at least was hired to do it. So I knew what I was getting myself into, but then didn't know what to do. <laughs> day one, right? I'm like, I don't know what the heck am I doing? Right? <laughs> I, I don't know what, what I'm supposed to be doing. This is not what I was trained to do. I don't have any skills. Yeah. And, Project implementation, grant implementation, you know, this is, this is, this is a whole nother skill set. So, um, so yeah, like the, the, your comments about needing the network, like going to those workshops, getting those networks, all that kind of stuff is, is so important because this work is not easy. Um, and I, and I have to acknowledge that often, um, as I'm writing, right. As a researcher doing HSI work, and I'm always like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then I have to like step backwards and say, it's easier to say do it than to actually do it. <laughs> like doing in practice and implementing in practice is hard. <laughs> it's hard to change an entire institution. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, one of the other hardest parts is hiring people. It's going to take mm, a year. It takes mm, like a year to hire mm-hmm. your staff before you can get one thing done. Yep. And the Department of Ed is like, your clock is ticking. You know, they wanted you to spend that money. You said you were going to yeah. be spending the money. And you're like, we barely got the person. It took six months <laughs> to get one person, <laughs> you know. But yeah. yeah, it's true. And, you know, and, and I guess the reality of it, as you were, you were asking about, you know, what are the things about, you know, when you write your proposal is to be <laughs> realistic don't say that you're going to hire someone in January when they they won't award it till October 1st because because it takes I don't know how many months I don't care what institution you're at your HR will get to you when they get to you mm-hmm. it's going to take you at least three four months to write the job description that they like it's mm-hmm. going to take a few months for you know the haggling of salary it doesn't meet our our standard for the campus mm-hmm. and you know, then you're at the IPR in March or, or April, having to write uh, everything, we just maybe hired one person. If you even hired anyone to write it for you, <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it, it's difficult in implementing that first year, year and a half. You're 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 under the gun. Yeah. To be quite honest, you know, people love they they want the money, but they don't understand what it takes to spend the money. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're right. Like a year goes by and all of a sudden you're having to report to the, you know, back to the federal government. You're like, we don't even have any, anything to report yet. Right. Like we hired a person. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's success. <laughs> Check the box. Right. We did one thing we said we were going to do. We'll work on the other hundred <laughs> in the next couple of exactly. years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> talk to me a little with that question. Talk to me a little bit about the accountability, accountability measures. That's one of the things I critique. I critique a lot of things. I think you know that um, the accountability um, measures uh, from the federal government, from the Department of Ed on like how, like your the process of reporting on on your progress. Like, are there accountability measures in your opinion? Are they strong? Are they uh, forcing us to do certain things that we shouldn't do or, or, you know, talk to me about that a little bit. Well, you know, it's, it's completely different from working at trio grant. If you're familiar with trio, you know, they, you have to see so many students or do so many things and you're held accountable. But since these are pilot pro 
basically pilot program grants, uh, it's hard for you to say that you're doing the wrong thing or the right thing because it's about trying to figure out, does it work? There's not really a, a true measure besides, as we're talking about, if you're not spending your money and they see it, that is one thing they will come at. They will audit you. They, that red flag will go up and say, why are you not spending your money, Victor? You have $750,000. You should not have that much. What are you doing? That's one thing they will catch you on, is they will look at your drawdowns and say, hey, there, there, there's nothing going on because they're just looking at your drawdowns. And uh, that's why it's it's a good practice to be very uh, friendly with your uh, business office or, or grants office, whoever does the G5 drawdowns to make sure they're drawing down. Because, you know, someone could could uh, leave the position who is in charge of that and and they forget. And you're just like, whoa, we've spent all this money, but it's not being reimbursed. So you have to be very careful with that. So I think that's one accountability they, they look at as to see, is there any progress in your program is the fiscal part. Outside of the annual performance reports, you know, we all wonder, do they really read them or not? <laughs> to be quiet. Yes, yes, I wonder that too. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you'll get some random comment like, hey, can you tell me more about this? Like, oh, they read it. <laughs> you get excited. <laughs> right. So, I think number one is, is uh, your, your drawdowns and that's how they measure how, how well you're doing or, or how well you're not doing. So if you're in year three and you have like spent no money, you're in trouble. And conversely, this is a story I've heard and it's, it's pretty true. <laughs> I ain't going to name the campus. So um, I guess some people were not very experienced with it. And they just probably thought it's a money grab. So they drew down almost 90% of the money, I think, in the first few months. You cannot spend just, I think it was like, what, five, $600,000 in three months. So don't do that, people out there. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't try to draw down because that's one way to have the feds come to your campus and pay you a visit. <laughs> and it seems so easy like oh spending money that's easy it's not right most mm. people need like the no cost extensions because oh yeah it's hard to spend this money it is yeah of course man it, it's it's like then trying to come up with you know uh, friends are saying what are you doing oh trying to figure out to spend this uh money i have before it's like come on you could just buy a thing no you cannot just buy anything <laughs> you can it, it has to be within the realm of of your proposal so it's very hard it's very hard to spend stuff and then you know the funny thing about it is sometimes i, I remember the past going to administration i said hey uh do you, i i need to spend you know two hundred thousand dollars is there anything in this area to say I'll, I'll pick on stem um and stem that maybe that you need to buy that you know the campus needs to refresh and it's like you get this like i don't know <laughs> i'm like what do you mean you don't know y'all know where, where the money is where the gaps are tell me where mm -hmm. the gaps are and you know it, it, it then it's like oh my god it's difficult trying to get rid of this money mm -hmm. you, and, mm -hmm. and people and sometimes people think are you're joking like you're, you're you're playing with me you're 
you're not really going to spend that money. It's like, yes, mm. spend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's a, it's a good thing to know. Thank you for, for answering that question. Um, because it is, it's, it's part of the accountability, right. And the federal government, they want you to spend the money on the campus, right. Their institutional capacity yeah. building grants build the capacity. I mean, obviously you can't just spend the money on whatever, right. Like you, if you spend the money on like your whole executive team flies to Hawaii for a week vacation, they're going to come to your door too, right? Like it's, it, it, so it's intentional and it's building capacity, right? Like, and, yeah. and that's hard to do. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, so I want to go ahead and move into the network and how you built the network. So let's talk um, about the Alliance of Hispanic Servant Institution Educators, ASI, um, which you are one of the co-founders and have spent a lot of time. You've been a leader in the organization and you've sort of alluded to already that you um, this, this came to fruition because you needed a network and all your friends that were doing this work and sort of struggling to do the work um, needed a network, right? So y'all, y'all launched it. So tell us um, about it, um, the history. How did it come about? This was over, you know, drinks at a hotel or something, you know, at a conference. What, what, how did I see come to, come to be? A, a little bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good ideas come about often. <laughs> you know, to be quite honest, it was in, in, a, in Santa Fe, uh, New Mexico, uh, I had met uh, David and uh, Moises Almendares. I'm not sure if you, you know Moises. Uh, we were all just kind of getting to know each other there, and it's like, man, we we need to, you know, figure out what 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 we're doing. And then that's how the conversation just kind of started, as in like, oh yeah, we'll keep in touch and so forth. And I think that the the, the what really made this happen was we were in DC, I think, uh, can't remember 2008 or something like that, or, or six. And they had a rare uh, director's meeting there. And uh, we were there and there was like Trio and all these other um, programs, grant programs there. And there was only one session for HSI Title Five. one session. And we were like, okay, let's see what this is all about. And it was, I hate to say it, was there were uh, a panel. There was a panel. It was an all-white panel telling us about at-risk kids in the barrio because they they were um, volunteering at a soup kitchen or volunteering at a homeless shelter. So all of our kids are are at soup kitchens in homeless shelters. Is that the best the DOE has for us? Is that mm. what we're taking home? Mm. That's not what we want to hear. We want to hear some best practices. We want to hear, you know, how to overcome some of the things that are going on on our campuses. And, you know, uh, I can't remember the gentleman from California. Oh, man, he gave them an earful. <laughs> He, 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 I was just like, everyone just started clapping for him because it's like, okay, this is, this is enough. This is enough. We, we have to do something. And uh, previously, uh, David Trujillo had us come in for a, like a small little best practices type of thing in uh, Albuquerque. And it was like maybe almost a hundred of us. And, you know, it was just kind of just like, hey, what's going on? This is what we're doing, sharing best practices. So many of us who, who went there, you know, we're at that, at that uh, 
conference and we just we basically stole a room that was empty in the hotel and said okay who we, we had a lot of people sitting in there say okay who wants to get involved and, and put this together and you know people some people raise their hands some other people like what are y'all are y'all drunk you know <laughs> what are y'all doing so you know out of just you know frustration that's how it, it began and it just slowly we just started talking starting to meet you know on the phone obviously because everyone was from everywhere from california to the east coast and so everywhere in between so we just started talking and then it just slowly kind of just snowballed into you know what it is today but uh, just working together figuring out what do we need what you know and uh and that those early years were rough having the, the best practices conferences I don't know. I know you present a ton, but when you have to be volunteering to have like five sessions in a day because there's not enough people coming, <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> and not just one topic said over and over. Like you're, you know, one is like evaluation, one is budget, one is compliance. You're trying to be creative. And, you know, there's, you know, just a handful of us trying to put on a conference like you know like the old uh, tv shows you put on a hat i'm the fireman i'm a policeman <laughs> that was that's what it was in the beginning and everyone was doing their best i mean we were all volunteers we were mm -hmm. just trying to think about ourselves and our colleagues thinking you know they're here so we have to give them the best of what we have and and after that people started saying hey you guys are for real they're like yeah we're trying to be for real we're trying <laughs> we're trying to help and we then we slowly we need to organize and we need to start building uh you know a structure you know the president vice president have elections and all that but it was very uh it was very rough in the beginning i'll tell you that much mm -hmm. not, not what you see now right now it, it, it looks smooth compared to the early years we didn't have a conference planner we didn't have you know all the fancy stuff it was just us on the telephone saying so are we going to order taquitos or what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 it's, it's evolved. And, you know, and I, and I was having a conversation with, with them yesterday about how are we going to evolve to the next level? And, and I don't think, you know, sometimes we, oh, we're here. I said, no, no, we, we, we still got to grow. We, I don't know to what, but I mean, we have to change. Now with this pandemic, it has, has thrown everything out of whack, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. and we have to respond we can't just stay where we were in 2019 we're, we're 22 23 coming up how are we going to change how are we going to keep up with this technology that all of a sudden is integrated in our colleges and universities how is um these grant practitioners going to figure out how they're going to compete for this money as mm -hmm. more tier one research schools are now HSIs, you know, uh, do they really need the money? No. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. You know, mm -hmm. the University of Texas and Texas A&M with endowments of a billion dollars need an HSI grant? Mm. No. Speak they don't. on it. Speak on it. <laughs> they don't because, I mean, they have money, you know, to do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the small community colleges that are limited small regional universities like I'm at, we're limited. 
that's where the money needs to come from. Mm-hmm. It needs to go there. And, you know, back to the organization is, uh, you know, we, we all come from different backgrounds of a two-year, four-year private uh, public and so on. And I think that's given us, you know, the, the flexibility and to show the need of our different type of students. And I think that's what makes us unique. We're not just one monotone type of organization that we're all four-year researchers, da, 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 da. No, we're, we're, we come from all different parts of higher ed. And I think that gives us, uh, uh, I guess, flexibility, I would say, in trying to address some of the issues that, you know, what a two-year has to face versus maybe a uh, four-year in California and Texas are completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, different funding. Like, you know, I'm impressed that um, they have all this uh, financial aid help in California and Texas, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it's good to know that that's out there and maybe there's ideas that we can you know share that maybe we can help implement on our campuses and mm-hmm. maybe find the money but mm-hmm. i think that's the organization it's is just been going back to it is it, it was a, a few tough years in the beginning trying to figure out how to get everyone involved and how to keep the organization you know going because we have full-time jobs mm-hmm. and it's a volunteer organization. And, you know, David was uh, very instrumental. He's the godfather of it, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, just trying to herd the cats is another thing I would say. Just trying mm-hmm. to, get to, to get to do things. And it was really tough in the beginning because mm-hmm. we, we had to volunteer for, we're going to, research uh how do we get those um i know you've heard all the student uh stories mm-hmm. that was you know how do we get the money for, for that mm. we, we, didn't, we didn't do that at first and then we just said okay we have a little money let's try this and it's grown to from like one to six to three to you know whatever the funding mm-hmm. we have and the other i would say is working on conference planning was tough. Working on reading all the submissions on presentations, uh, working on you know all the other things that that the um, it takes to get the conference off the ground. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's it's been, I would say I, I commend my colleagues and friends uh, back in the early years who had to. I would say we would all struggle and come to. Uh, some arguments sometimes in discussions of how to move forward, but uh, they said that it wasn't possible. And I think we proved them wrong mm-hmm. and it's still going. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping it, 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 it uh, grows and develops into its next iteration, which I don't know what it's going to be, but I know it has to the change and it'll, it'll grow even further. Right. So, and now, you know, we have the executive director Yoli. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what's gonna happen with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and like I told her, it's like, hey, you can count on me and probably some other people have probably expressed the same. So um, I'm very excited to see where uh, this new direction is going to be going. Yeah. 
Yo también. I'm like, me, me, pick me. I'll do whatever you want, Yolanda. I, I'm here. <laughs> so, and I, I think she knows that, right? That a lot of us are like, we are here to serve you, right? Whatever you need um, to help this organization to continue to grow. And, um, and, and I feel we're, we're very, you know, I guess the, the members or the council members, we're very accessible. You know, you go to the conference, you know, you just come and shoot the breeze with us and, and just bend our ear about whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have this, you know, aura of like, oh, you can't talk to us. You can't, uh, you know, whatever. No, we're, we're there. We're, we're in the mix of everything. And mm-hmm. I think you'd be disappointed if you didn't mm-hmm. come and uh, tell us a complaint or tell us it's too cold or hey, what kind of next time order some other tacos or something. That's, <laughs> but, but we need to know stuff like that. You know, they need to know that, you know what, this is what, you, that's, this is what the audience needs versus what we're, we're not trying to tell you, this is what you need, but you tell us what you need. <laughs> we need pupusas and not tacos, you know, that's, va- that's valid, you know, <laughs> there, food matters. We've already yeah. said that it matters to the educators too, right? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> so, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta keep that in mind. So, so thank you for sharing a little bit of that history and, and shout out to the Alliance of HSI educators for continuing to evolve for hiring the first um, executive director. And I look forward to, I'm going to be speaking with, um, with, with Yolanda and with Paloma um, in, a, in an episode as well. So we'll learn more about ASI um, and get the, get the name out there. So the final question um, that I have for you, I, I have a lot of questions, but we got to wrap it up. You know, uh, we got time limits here. Um, but how would you summarize in one or two sentences? Some people go on for paragraphs, so feel free. But get pasa, HSIs? Yeah, you know what? Uh, to be quite honest, I'm going to have to say this before my kids disown me, uh, Katerina and Jacob, if they're listening, you know, this is what I do. This is, this is, I want to make sure my kids, everyone's kids, everyone's family has a, a shot at being at uh a shot at getting a higher education degree. That's what I think, you know, that's what my purpose is in being in higher ed is uh, being aware of everyone else because I sometimes felt no one really cared about me. It's about time, you know, like we need to care about, you know, our families and friends and, and the strangers out there that they, need, they don't have someone like us in their family. And it's true. And uh, I, I, I try to pride myself in trying to be that that person out there saying, you know, what, I, we, we, you may be from this other body, but I'm over from this body. But, you know, we still want the same thing. We want to be educated at the end of the day. And I really appreciate you having me on this. And that's what's up with HSIs and with Victor Davila and with with the work that we do. So thank you. Thank you for sharing this time with me and sharing space. Um, it's been a wonderful learning experience. I learned a lot um, and I know our listeners did too. So so thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. I, it was fun. Didn't know what to expect. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, I'm going to go ahead.